Ontology, the Waystation of Red Pill Sanity Written by William Leo Translated by Deep L and a Human Read for you by Eric, Jenny, Mia, and many other bots In this new season of Ontology podcast series In fact, an impoverished Afghanistan governed by tribal alliances formed by warlords would be more stable, thanks to the lack of money. What problems did the unprecedented influx of money bring? It brought with it modernization, a new order. The Taliban is an organization of students of traditional Islamic schools who cannot afford to attend a Western-style school. They are full of envy and hostility towards those Western-educated students. Season 4 the Islamic World and the Inner Asian Order Episode 1 The Modernization Paradox and the Taliban's Emergence The Taliban is essentially an upgraded Pashtun organization made of religious students. It originated in the Pashtun tribal area of Kandahar straddling Afghanistan and Pakistan. It began as an anti-warlord student movement that opposed the warlord's policy of arbitrary expropriation under the pressure of the modernization tied with the Islamic fundamentalist justice advocated by the Quran. In other words, Afghanistan became a stronghold for bin Laden because it was a geopolitical vacuum, a spot where nation-state construction had failed. It is a jigsaw puzzle put together by countless tribes, each acting according to its own customary law, so there is no central authority that can be held accountable. So, after failing to gain a foothold in East Africa and elsewhere, bin Laden was able to flee to the border tribes of Afghanistan and Pakistan and found sanctuary there. But it didn't mean that he had good relations with all the tribes. His arrival and acceptance was rather a harbinger or watershed of a new era in which the introduction of exogenic political conflicts into the Afghan mountainous areas gave local tribal chiefs and warlords the opportunity to upgrade their military equipment. They were already tribes and warlords who were often at war with each other, but international contentions brought modern weapons into the Afghan market as well as profoundly changed the economic structure of Afghanistan itself. The entry of expensive foreign weapons was inevitably accompanied by the entry of foreign financial flows and trading systems, making it necessary for the original tribes to be directly or indirectly linked to financial institutions in places such as Karachi, Beirut, and Qatar and to rely on these financial institutions to handle their weapon dealings and negotiations. This is essentially modernization that took place in an unusual manner. Everyone, including the Soviets and the Americans, were the driving force of this modernization who poured approximately tens of billions of dollars at a time in Afghanistan, that is, tens of billions of dollars in the Cold War before the 1990s, during the post-Cold War period when the Taliban rose to prominence, the money flow saw a low ebb which was followed by another climax during the War on Terror. The Taliban arose during this low-ebb interval between the conclusion of the Cold War and the start of the War on Terror which was also the period when Africa was abandoned by the international powers. Like Afghanistan, Africa's value to the West was dependent on its role in the Cold War. If not used as a base for one camp of the Cold War against the other, then investments in many places would not be worth their costs. The derelict infrastructure in those places renders capitalistic development hardly profitable due to hefty dangers and numerous risks. Therefore, private capital is reluctant to go there. State development funds entered mainly to oppose other powers. With the fall of the Soviet Union the need to oppose other powers disappeared. As a result, 
both the Soviet Union and the Western powers launched an exodus from the continent in the 1990s, which led to a massive cash flow out of Afghanistan and Africa. This created the vacuum in which the Taliban could rise to power which was not possible in the 1980s when the various warlords with Soviet and American weapons could easily use their network of connections in the tribal society to keep the Taliban down. In fact, an impoverished Afghanistan governed by tribal alliances formed by warlords would be more stable, thanks to the lack of money. What problems did the unprecedented influx of money bring? It brought with it modernization, a new order, hence a serious threat to the old order and its elite class with vested interests. The uneven distribution of money created a brawling consumer city in Kabul and a government depending solely on U.S. military spending has a much harder time controlling the countryside than an Afghan monarchy with a direct relationship with tribal chiefs. The massive U.S. investment and infrastructure development bred local power brokers, such as contractors to build roads in Kandahar who have close ties to the former president Hamid Karzai. These brokers in Kandahar play both sides. Some of the money ended up in the hands of the Taliban through their in-laws with tribal chiefs and imams. The roads they build are also partly used by the Taliban to expand their radius of influence. Of course, the same is true of China, whose building of the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor and the China-Pakistan Highway has ushered in an influx of Islamic State forces into the otherwise relatively quiet Balakistan and Kashmir-Waziristan border areas. The surge of Islamic State forces after 2015 is basically the result of the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. In fact, the chaos in Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region is also the result of the development drive since the Jiang Zemin era. The former Xinjiang, though much poorer, had less acute social tensions. This is a typical modernization shock. The more money imported, the greater the shock, with new rifts tearing up old wounds. And the donors, the US, for example, are often without the patience to support a particular faction of power for a long time. Afghanistan is only a marginal sphere of influence to the US. When the burden gets too much it simply would rather give it up which is exactly what it is doing. Yet the local brokers hatched by the flooding of money and the warlord forces formed around them are not going to go away. A new melee is bound to break out. This is an inevitable phenomenon and pre-modern countries are exposed to modernization, which is a very classic theme for modernization research. The Taliban is the product of two factors, the old Taliban, the Taliban of the 1990s, which is a convergence of spontaneous civil organizations who felt abandoned by the modernization process and profoundly wronged, and its purposeful manipulation by the Pakistani military secret service intelligence authorities. Neither factor is dispensable in the birth of the Taliban. The former spontaneous order is extremely common in underdeveloped countries, especially in Muslim ones, all over the world where modernization has been involuntarily introduced. Most of those similar organizations only manage to make brief and scattered appearances before disappearing without a trace. The Taliban is an organization of students of traditional Islamic schools who cannot afford to attend a Western-style school. Their privileged peers are the wealthier class who are able to get a Western education, while most people have to go to traditional educational institutions which are known as madrasa or religious schools in Afghanistan and Pakistan. The advantage of such religious schools is that they are free or almost free. Americans were fully aware that the madrasas in southern Pakistan were the root cause of Islamic extremism, yet they could not outlaw their existence. 
The secular schools left behind by the British and those later run by them, the foreign schools, have always covered only a small percentage of the Pakistani population simply because the poor, who make up the majority, can't afford a Western modern education. The Islamic imam could not speak English or expound on mathematics and chemistry, but he can teach poor kids the laws of the Quran and how to read and write, which is enough for poor families. In this way, a class of native intellectuals is created. Among these religious school students are born the elite of the majority of the population. Unlike their privileged peers educated in Western schools, these religious students cannot occupy high positions in the modernized society. Hence they are full of envy and hostility towards those Western-educated students. These religious students' standard of social justice, according to the Quran, lends to the argument that those Western-educated students serving in the modernized government structure treat them unfairly. Modernization for all traditional societies, including Afghanistan in the 21st century, has meant a sharp rise in military costs. Warlords need to spend more money to maintain their armies, while traditional societies are accustomed to the minimal costs of maintaining traditional social and political institutions. As a result, the anger of the overly burdened tribal folks and peasants, and the jealousy of discontent poor religious students towards wealthy Western-educated peers converged to trigger the anti-warlord Taliban movement. This movement, like similar reactions to the impact of modernization in the Islamic world and in most underdeveloped countries outside of Europe and the United States, would have been easily suppressed by warlords and those in power. But because of the altered international situation, after the Soviet withdrawal in the 1990s, the United States and the West decided that Afghanistan was no longer worth continued investment, leaving behind a political vacuum. Pakistani military intelligence believes that Pakistan's future position is very insecure and it is likely to be dismembered and annexed by India. This is due to Pakistan's lack of strategic depth and the fact Pakistan's security during the Cold War was maintained by the necessity of US opposition to the Soviet military presence in Afghanistan, which has now disappeared. It was important for Pakistan to open up Afghanistan as its own rear and to make the Pashtun region its strategic center. Military intelligence and the army were at this time under the rule of the powerful General Pervez Musharraf, who needed to expand their strategic depth and who were desperate to find their own proxies in warlord-ridden Afghanistan. The emerging Taliban was chosen by them. The Pakistani military and ISI advisors entered the tribal areas of Afghanistan bordering Pakistan to fund these seminarians and keep them armed. And the quality weapons and hence military prowess of the various Afghan warlords, having been abandoned by the Soviet Union and the United States, weakened considerably. The balance tipped so that the seminary students were able to take down their old home of Kandahar in the first few battles. But in the second phase of their advance into Kabul, they were met with resistance by General Ahmad Shah Massoud, the great warlord force that had solidified in Tajik's fight against the Soviet Union the Taliban were defeated and expelled from Kabul again. Why did they lose the battle? They are regional forces who were essentially proxies of the Pashtun tribes and Pashtun people and are considered outsiders in northern regions of the Tajiks and Uzbeks, so the Kabul regime could rely on the Northern Alliance to fight them. At that point, the choice was in the hands of Pakistan. If Pakistan let it be, those Taliban soldiers could at best have become regional warlords, if Pakistan intervened, by sending weapons, they could launch a second campaign to defeat the Northern Alliance and capture Kabul. And the Pakistani military decided to give them a new batch of weaponry supply, which enabled these religious students to miraculously fight their way into Kabul. 
But at this point in time, the Taliban group was still essentially an assembly of tribal youth formed based on the original tribal and village structures. In other words, they were by no means a modern professional army, nor had any elite soldiers. Like the Tajik warlords and other warlords made by the tribes of the Northern Alliance, they were also only a mix and match of local and tribal young men. Whoever was in possession of more imported weaponry shall win. Certain tribes among these still practice ancient customs. These tribes are very much similar to autonomous monarchies whose esteem as a host would be compromised if a foreign guest sustains harm within its realm. This implies that the host is not a valorous fighter compared with other hosts who are very capable of fighting and protecting their guests. Under such circumstances, Bin Laden found refuge among certain tribes. It was also according to these traditional tribal ethics that the Taliban refused to hand over Bin Laden to the Americans. When they wouldn't hand him over, the Americans invaded and armed the Northern Alliance who fought their way into Kabul for the second time and drove the Taliban back into the countryside. Under the threat of the Americans, Pakistan officially announced that it was severing ties with the Taliban. This led to a nominal split between the Afghan Taliban and the Pakistani Taliban, but the split was incomplete. To completely suppress the Taliban in Pakistan, it would be necessary to start a social revolution in Pakistan to eliminate the soil from which the madrasas are born. But this is something Americans cannot do and it also runs counter to the American concept of constitutional rule and democracy. According to the American interpretation of the Constitution and democracy, only pro-Taliban officials at the top of the hierarchy can be dismissed. That is all. Do Americans have to interfere with what kind of schools the sons and daughters of poor families at the lowest social stratum go to? This is contradictory to American values and practices. So religious schools are allowed to continue, even though students who graduated from such religious schools will surely grow up to be those who curse imperialism, warlords, and dignitaries, albeit without any other means to change the situation. Hence, the breeding ground and the source of combatants were never eliminated. Thank you for listening. This is a podcast series produced by Luminous Society. Luminous Society provides you with an alternative historical narrative.